0: Allt nu när våren ska komma allt som ska knoppa gro under vintern oh. under ytan just
1: därför att det får vara vila. Think we come back as softer, gentler, more open people from a wintering or we do if we've really let it in. The strangeness of a time when we're spending a lot of time in darkness and when our dreams are closer to us because we're waking in the night. And when we're uncertain about what's moving around in the shadows almost. And that is a part of winter that I think we need to go back to embracing. I, I'm just picturing this lovely, cozy panda. Oh, yeah, I, it's yeah. It's irresistible. <laughs> um.
0: We now have the dormouse, we have the panda. <laughs>
2: you, you
1: need to find a dormouse concept now, don't you? Yeah, That's... yeah, we do. We
2: do. We do. Välkomna till Hälsorevolutionen, podden som vill hjälpa dig att finna din bästa livsrytm och ditt djupaste välmående. Idag ska vi undersöka livets ebb och flod, sommar och vinter, hur livet går i cykler och hur vi kan bli mer accepterande för just livets växlingar. Karina Lundstedt heter jag och är producent för podden och även förläggare. Och det här intresserar ju dig, Maria. Ja, men verkligen alltså.
0: Jag tror att det här är en av våra stora samtids, på något sätt, dilemman. Vi lever så stressande, stressigt. Och vi får egentligen bara respekt av omgivningen när vi är på, när vi levererar, när vi jobbar. När vi har bakat bullar. Men vi behöver ju lika mycket vår ro och vår mm. vila- Och ibland slår livet till och då måste man få vara i vintern, ja. Ja. Liksom, tänker jag. Jag heter Maria Borealus, vetenskapsjournalist och författare. Och jag ser verkligen fram emot att möta dagens gäst, den brittiska författaren Catherine May. Som skrivit en liten juvel till bok som på svenska heter Övervintring och på engelska Wintering. Karina, vad är det här för bok?
2: Ja men det här är en bok som som kom till mig via tips från andra författare jag gillar. Och lite så brukar jag nosa upp nya böcker som jag vill ge ge ut på mitt eget förlag. Så det var förra vintern, vi var ganska trötta i familjen. Anders var väldigt sjuk, min man Anders. Och vi hade fått veta att han säljgifter inte längre fungerade men han skulle få testa en ny alternativmedicin. Men det var vinter både på utsidan och på insidan mm. så, så att säga. Både när vi öppnade dörren och när man kände efter själv. och den, Ja. Och då kom den här boken till mig, det vill säga jag eh, bad att få läsa manus som man gör innan man bestämmer sig för att eh, köpa rättigheter till att ge ut en, en bok. Och Ja, den är så vackert skriven. Det handlar ju just om varför det är så viktigt för oss människor, precis som du säger, att vila och återhämta oss. Och varför många av oss har liksom tröttnat på att snabbspola livet. Att det bara ska vara mm. nästa grej, nästa mm. grej, nästa mm. grej.
0: Ja, jag hörde just om någon familj som var så här att när de är på en semester, det de gör sista dagen är allt att planera nästa semester- Ja. Om den är ett bort eller aha. någonting sånt där. Ja, det, det är fint. Jo, men det är det här snabbspola det, 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 ja, ja. ja,
2: det är det ju. Först tänkte jag att det var fint eftersom du har dem det och längtar ja, efter. Ja, ja, det är så. Det ja. Men är lite det är ändå brygga. det här
0: snabbspola aha. att mm. vi njuter nu, men nu ska vi njuta ännu mer. Och, och det var inget fel med det, men jag tänker på det här. Jag har ju också läst... Catherine made både den svenska översättningen mm. som du har gjort.
2: Ja, nej men det, det det var ju så wow. att Anders eh, översatte böcker och skulle ha översatt den här boken men det mm. gick inte då. Och så i somras så hade jag ingen översättare och jag hade redan flyttat ut en gång på grund av allt som hade hänt med ja, oh, verkligen livet natt svart när Anders gick bort men så att i augusti bara shit jag har ingen översättare vad ska jag göra? Och sen bara vakna en morgon och sa, "Äh jag ska göra det själv." För jag tycker så mycket om den här boken. Och sen var ju det värsta lyxen. Att få tillbringa tid med att skriva sig igenom den här boken. Inte bara läsa den. Så det var en ny upplevelse. Och jag har gjort mitt allra bästa. Och väldigt vackert. Ingen har sagt ännu att det är dåligt. Till och med någon som har sagt att det är bra. Så jag jag är så glad för det. Och jag har skrivit ett förord till boken också. För att det det blev så personligt. Jag har ju också
0: läst både faktiskt på engelska och svenska. Och det är ju en otroligt vacker engelsk text. Och du har gjort så skimrande, fint språk. Och den är ju naturlyrisk. Den är mänskligt väldigt klok. Och den innehåller väldigt mycket mytologi, legend, kultur, reflektioner. Från det lilla... –Hasselmusen som ligger och sover genom hela vintern till gamla keltiska legender. –Och är just hela tiden på temat den här säsongen, när vi på ytan tror att ingenting händer. –Men egentligen är det då kanske det mesta händer, för det sker inom oss. –Allt nu när våren ska komma, allt som ska knoppa, gror under vintern, under ytan, just därför att det får vara vila. Och all vår, att vi smälter och att vi lär oss att vi bygger
2: muskler, det gör vi ju vila. Mm. Vi har pratat om pandan. Mm, ja. Panda, pandariket, är inte det här pandariket? Jo, visst är det det. Och det, och, och det är ett så lärorikt rike. Ja. I vår tid så verkar det ju som att vi alla behöver återhämtning mer än någonsin. Mm. Och, och Catherine May skriver ju just detta, att vi, vi pratar om det hela tiden, men... Så här skriver hon, att ägna sig åt de här djupt omoderna sysslorna, sakta ner, låta fritiden ta mer plats, få tillräckligt med sömn, vila, är ett radikalt ställningstagande, men helt nödvändigt.
0: Och varför har blivit så nu, tror du?
2: Det har nog varit aktuellt ganska länge, men det har ställts på sin spets, tror jag, med den digitala värld som vi lever i, där det hela tiden är nästa avsnitt, nästa klick. Äh, ännu fler likes det blir liksom inte tillräckligt och visst en säsong på en tv-serie kan ta slut men då vill du ju snabbt ersätta det med något annat för att få kvar den där mysiga känslan i tv-soffan eller vad det är så det är någonting som gör att vi hela tiden ska bara fylla med yttre stimuli men också förstås prestera för, för att alltså, vi, jagar, vi jagar på, vi jagar ju Vi springer från oss själva mm. utan att vi vet om det tror jag. Jag mm. har ju gjort så här och jag håller på så här men jag har kommit fram till att nu måste jag bromsa upp för att ta hand om det jag har varit med om. Det är ja, min vinter så att säga. Mm. Det är ju när man är vinter själv tänker jag på det då
0: när jag har varit det mm. i samband med livskriser så blir man ju naturligt tung i kroppen. Mm. Mm. Och jag tänker liksom pandan är ju tung. Mm. Och det är ju tänker jag för att kroppen vill sakta ner den. Mm. Och att man inte ska vara så lättrullig framåt utan man ska vara mer i stillhet. Mm. Och förr i världen innan all den här digitala tekniken och, och liksom hetsen fanns. Så var det ju naturligt på vintern kunde man inte jobba med jordbruket. Det var inget som hände. Man satt hemma det var lite kallt och man gick och la sig med. När natten kom mm. man hade, man pratade mycket om man hade liksom två sömnfaser under natten. För man la sig så himla Precis. tidigt. Ja. Och nu har vi ju ett antal moderna eh, medieföretag som jobbar för att äta vår pandatid. Mm. För de har kommit på att de kan inte ta vår jobbtid, för den är vad den är. Mm. Så det är pandatiden de kan äta in sig på. Mm. Mm. Och därför ska tv-serierna rulla precis som du säger, och nästa avsnitt knäpps på innan vi ens har hunnit reagera. Ha? Det är bara så här, man måste... sju, sex, fem, <laughs> ja, fyra, bung går det på. Och man, man, man måste
2: kasta sig på, liksom och trycka på det här krysset längst för att stänga ja. av. Ja, så, ja. ja är det är värsta stressen. Det är stress och... Eh,
0: Vi som har digitala flöden, jag är, mm. är väldigt mån exempel om att eh, när jag postar ska ingen vara taskig mot någon annan. Nej. Så jag känner mig som en redaktör. Mm. Så jag och kollar igenom allt hela tiden för jag mm. vill inte ha plats för näthat och sånt. Det, och det känner jag ett ansvar för, ja, men mm. då, varje gång jag postar så ska det där skötas. Mm. Och man måste följa upp alla e-mail som trillar in. Mm. All den här naturliga rytmen mellan ekor och panda har skurits bort med digitala tekniker.
2: Ja, för vi kommunicerar hela tiden i alla parallella kanaler. Så att om någon ja. inte får svar när de ringer eller smsar, då är det Whatsapp eller... Ja. Så att det är, just det, men nu, nu kommer det ett mejl här istället. Ja. Ja. Det kan vara jättebra också, man kan liksom kommunicera kanske lite mera i grupper på, på olika bra sätt med familjen och, och sådär. Men vi måste sätta gränser, det har vi också pratat om tidigare. Annars, det är viktigt för hälsan. Ja, ja. Det här är
0: superviktigt för hälsan. Så att vi ska träffa Katrin May snart hon är på väg hit och så tror jag det blir en fördjupning om pandan. Och det här är så viktigt nu tycker jag i all modern hälsoforskning. Så liksom man har pratat om kost och träning, nu kommer pandan väldigt stort. Mm. Behov av återhämtning mm. och, och lika viktigt som de andra ja. sakerna. ja. Och det kan man också se tycker jag på folk som äter ganska bra. Och tränar som jättemycket jätte och inte återhämta mm. sig. Får en slags trötthet i ansiktet. Man ser att det där var inte hela lösningen. Eh, medan människor som, som vilar ganska mycket. titta på en buddhist munk. De är igång och gör men de vilar mycket i meditationen. Ja. Och som har det här upplysta, ljusa liksom, mm. i ansiktet.
2: Det är så spännande att vi utforskar det. För ja. det som, som du säger så, så kommer det ju nya tankar, nya böcker, ny mm. forskning mm. och att få lägga det här pusslet tillsammans mm. med dig tycker jag är så roligt. Ja men vi är ju på vår <här> lilla detektivakt därför tycker <här> jag var så kul när du bestämde dig för att förlägga den här och roligt att få läsa
0: och nu tycker jag att vi ska släppa in Catherine May eller hur? Absolut.
2: Ja, nu har eh, serie 6 köksmaskinen fått eh, jobba på här ett tag och eh, det har blandats ihop eh, till en perfekt liten eh, smul smet här. De innehåller havregryn, smör, bovetemjöl, bakpulver, havssalt, eh, citroncest, ingefära, blötlagda Earl Grey teblad och sen Kaltelbrejte och honung. Och till sist kakaonibs. Ja, fattar. Det här kommer att bli så himla gott.
0: Ja, men det här är så kul. Och min mormor hade ju tyckt att det var fantastiskt. Hon var ju... Alla de här ingredienserna och det här med, med ett litet bra kex och en kopp te. Det var liksom väldigt mycket hon. Jag tror att hon drack 16 koppar te varje dag. Och just tekex var liksom lite specialitet ja. för henne.
2: Det jag uppskattar särskilt med serie 6, nu när jag har bakat med den några gånger, det är till exempel... Om köksmaskinen. Lycka So now I'd like to welcome Catherine May. Thank
0: you
1: for having me. It's really beautiful little room this, isn't it? Yeah. So cozy. Yeah.
0: You've come from the UK to Sweden. It's February. It is a time of wintering here. Yes. In the UK spring is about to come, but here you have wandered in your Birkenstock. I have.
1: (laughs) My woolly Birkenstock. Your woolly Birkenstocks.
0: (laughs) Tell me. This book about cherishing the wintering aspects of our
1: lives, why have you written it? I mean, the idea came to me in one big chunk. It felt like it downloaded. And as soon as I thought of the idea, it felt like a kind of mission because I wanted to talk to people about how to honour these times in our life where we are naturally laying fallow and not to think of them as some kind of a mistake or you know, a failure, because I think often when people are wintering, they think they've failed. And I instead, I wanted to just show people how survivable those times are and actually how important they can be, Mm. even if they're not pleasurable. And that's the tricky bit, I think, because so much in our culture wants to lead us towards efficiency and squeezing the most out of every experience. And therefore, we want to see wintering as something that maybe we can succeed at and that we can have a really great time at and i actually don't think that's the case i think wintering involves suffering um but it's time that we accepted suffering as a as an ordinary part of our existence and that kind of takes the sting out of it a little bit
0: hmm. i guess these insights were hard won <laughs> in your own life <laughs> yeah what was your life like before uh, having understood
1: the value of wintering? I think it it felt a lot like a struggle, really. I was always trying to find ways to make sure that it never happened again. And actually, I, I mean, I always say I think I've probably wintered more than most. I had a, a very sort of difficult childhood as an undiagnosed autistic girl Um, And that led to kind of mental health problems. And then as I got older to physical health problems as well, because one very common thing for autistic women is to experience burnout. You know, we throw ourselves at the world and try and get along with it and then get very tired and therefore have really, you know, powerful physical symptoms that can often take us out for a year. And that happened to me twice. And I also failed in the workplace a lot. So I was constantly leaving jobs that I thought were going to be mine forever. Um, And so I felt like I'd built up some expertise in wintering by the time I came to write this book. But before I began to model it as a particular season in my life, I was always trying to solve it. So I was constantly reading self-help books, thinking that, you know, I'd find the one that sorted me out finally. Um, I was constantly trying to push myself forwards, like to find the energy and the motivation or to find the right diet that would make me somehow infallible. There were just endless things I was doing. And I got to the point when I finally realised that wasn't working that none of it was going to stop me from being fundamentally human and and it was actually my humanness that meant that I was failing at things and that's quite a hard thing to accept ultimately Mm. I still struggle with it sometimes you know I still find myself trying to solve problems that can't be solved but I've got a very different dialogue with myself about it now and that's that's the huge difference for me but the book's written as a very human account rather than a, a kind of expert account or a how to mm-hmm. it's definitely about walking through it rather than telling people how to do it cuz i've got no interest in that
3: mm-hmm.
0: Uh, uh, there is one sentence in your book, a couple of which I thought was interesting. I've been that person to always reach for the unreachable. Mm-hmm. I'm tired
1: of that person. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, I was a very academically successful child. And I used to tell people that I did that through hard work, but I actually didn't. I actually found schoolwork quite easy. And so then when I graduated into adulthood... I had all these ideas about what I could achieve and I was constantly sort of propelling myself towards them and finding that I couldn't quite get there. And I still do that. I still see that as one of my positive qualities. For the things that I love, you know, like my writing, I will throw everything at it. But I used to be doing that for everything else too and therefore constantly... Kind of pep talking myself and not letting myself rest and not allowing myself to soften actually and to have a more gentle dialogue with the world, not giving myself time to reflect and absorb my surroundings and to just actually relax, just to enjoy the moment. I mean, the moment is such a loaded concept these days, but it was, I was never allowing downtime Mm. I think that person was exhausting actually it exhausted me but it was I was also quite exhausting to be around (laughs) I can still be quite exhausting to be around when I've got an idea in my head but at least that's in balance now with other things I'm not trying to be a superhuman at everything anymore Mm. I've acknowledged that I can't and I've also acknowledged that other people are better at at that than me and I'm kind of okay with that. As it turns out, it's mm. much easier to live with a self that is understood and that you know its limits mm. um, than it is to constantly be trying to imagine someone better. There was no better, really. There was actually quite a lot of worse in the end. And you get sick.
0: So the book describes Absolutely. that you get physical symptoms and you have yeah. to start dealing. What What happened
1: to you exactly? When the book begins, I was working in an academic job. Um, and like I think, you know, like many academics, the hours were incredibly long. And, you know, you do that because you're really committed to your research and because you're committed to your students. But there was a culture in my institution of people answering emails at midnight, you know, and working all weekends and, you know, there was the idea that we had these long holidays but you always end up working through them anyway. And I was absolutely spent. I had a three or four-year-old at the time. He was, you know, constantly being shunted about to different childcare settings and, that you know, I was constantly organising him. We were all just really tired. And so when the book begins, uh, my husband had an appendicitis, a, a really serious one, but while I was sitting at his bedside, I started to get abdominable, uh, abdominal pain, mm. abominable pain, yeah. I think it was, it, it abdominal was both, pain. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, and, you know, initially I dismissed it, but it got worse and worse. And, and uh, ultimately it turned out that I had a really very badly inflamed gut all the way through. Mm. And that's done permanent damage. You know, I'm still kind of living with the consequences of that now and I'm still having to manage it. But I felt like I'd almost eaten myself, you know. I felt like I'd lived with stress for so long Mm. that I had harmed my body and taken it so far out of its equilibrium. And I'd been ignoring the signs of that coming for a very long time. Mm. And I'd been ignoring signs that I should have taken to a doctor a long time back. But of course, we don't do that quite often. We just carry on and we ignore it because it's not, tough to give in to illness and to realise that you're sick. And it was only when I literally couldn't stand up anymore because I was in so much pain and I had a really deep-seated infection that took months to get rid of. Um, That had to stop me. I couldn't do anything anymore. Mm. I was in constant pain and I have been. It carried on for a very long time. I've last six months i've got on top of it quite a lot but Mm. uh i'm quite pleased with that (laughs) Mm. but you know it's these things are not insignificant you know Mm. they are not petty health complaints they're not the odd headache you know we're making ourselves very sick quite Mm. often by the way we're Mm. charging through life Mm. and i really really did and i found that to my cost
0: So you embark in the book on a journey to find another way, not another new <laughs> academic path, but rather a way to withdraw mm. with a lot of insights. And there is so much in this book. So one of the most endearing aspects, I think, is the connection you start making with nature. Mm. So why is the hazel
1: dormice important to you? So... We only have three species that properly hibernate in the UK and the Dormouse is one of them. Catherine,
0: I just want to translate to Swedish. Hibernation means att gå i ide.
1: Det som björnar gör och den lilla musen som Catherine talar om. And at a conservation centre near me, I went to visit these hibernating dormice and these are dormice that have been taken in because they have had their nest disrupted normally so their nests get dug up accidentally or disturbed by children or animals and and people bring them in and so normally these dormice are a little bit underweight and not quite ready for their hibernation when they come into the trust and so they they have a managed hibernation which means that um, the dormice would naturally wake up a little bit every six weeks um but here they're they're woken to weigh them and make sure they're still okay so i was allowed to go and see these little dormice um and i don't think i'd fully understood hibernation before and what it really meant because mm. the dormouse spends its whole year preparing for hibernation it only wakes when there's enough fruit on the on the bushes and hedgerows to gorge on. I mean, the the task that these dormice undertake in terms of eating is absolutely extraordinary. They are trying to lay on as much brown fat as possible, the kind of easily burnt fat. And so by the time they go into hibernation, hopefully if they've been successful, they're so fat that their little arms and legs barely move anymore. And so that's what I found when, when we unpacked these little dormice is that they were these little round balls with their tiny little feet and legs absorbed in but they were also squishy in a way <laughs> that you would never expect you can literally leave finger marks in one if you squish mm. it because mm. it's so built up and at the same time they're ice cold they they drop their body temperature to 4 degrees wow which is yeah. extraordinary to touch mm. because it, They were definitely alive, unmistakably, because of the squishiness, I think. Um, But they were also like little balls of ice. And that's an act of survival that I don't think we can really grasp almost. That level of acceptance that in order to just simply live through winter, you have to stop living, in any sense we'd understand it, from... October till May every year. So that's the majority of the year. Mm. And even after May, they might go back into torpid states for a few weeks if the weather drops. So these little creatures are putting themselves in stasis in an act of brutal survival. Mm. And I found that strangely inspiring. I didn't want to do it. It didn't look... Fun. It didn't look enjoyable, but it was just this natural part of the Dormouse mm. rhythm. And it is for so many creatures and, and, you know, other creatures on different levels as well who, you know, do who undertake brumation, who fall into torpid states because we always think that bears hibernate and they don't. Um, that points us as humans to a different understanding of how we survive our cold seasons as well, I mm. think. Mm. I mean, interestingly, there's some speculation that early humans might have undertaken something that resembles hibernation as well, or that certainly that they would have retreated and slowed down and slept for very prolonged periods, um, which I don't talk about in the book. The research came out afterwards. It's, it's a little bit controversial and a little bit unclear. Uh, it sounds reasonable for people migrating to the north when
0: food was scarce. Mm. And that was also because it was interesting. I read your book just after Christmas I was exhausted right. uh, of having been like working like hell, then going into Christmas mm. season working like hell, yeah. and I was like, my whole body screams, slow down, mm. and I've just been accelerating. And there is something with this season of darkness, of cold, of everything, mm. and we just have to deliver even more. And it, you you just feel in your body that. Do you see what I mean? Like oh, it's absolutely. against.
1: Everything. You're, you're ready yeah. for it. Your body wants to rest. It just. I.
0: I want to be a half a hazel dormouse, <laughs> not maybe four degrees, but I can be.
1: 14 <laughs> i just i just want to be that cute and fluffy actually <laughs> <laughs> but actually you know the the cold sends all kinds of signals to our bodies mm-hmm. and i mean th- and we have this in common with the dormice as well because their hibernations now being disrupted by global warming they they can't get their body temperature low enough in england to mm-hmm. reach that point and we we're, we're not getting those sustained cold periods that keeps them cold so mm-hmm. that's really threatening their species but like we humans are finding ever more ingenious ways not to feel the cold mm. and not to truly experience the dark as well. Mm. And while that has made our lives infinitely more comfortable, I mean, I, I grew up in a house that didn't have heating or double glazing. Yeah, so I read that. You had I, yeah. no heating. No, <laughs> no heating. <laughs> we had uh, we had those little uh, portable colour gas heaters, yeah, yeah. but we couldn't carry them upstairs, mm. so there was definitely none upstairs. And downstairs it was very situational. It was not pleasant and we shouldn't romanticise what life was like without that kind of thing. Um, I hear a lot of, you know, tough talk about that and I'm not keen on it. But I do think that if we can get outside and sample the cold for shorter periods of time and and just let our bodies know it's winter Mm -hmm. and let our bodies adapt to the changing patterns of light as well, which we are so reluctant to to really sense to mm. sense those darker evenings to sense those darker mornings to accept that the days are shorter mm. we have some mm. bodily systems that are ready to receive that information and to do different things in Very the winter true. and we can just yeah we can make a few changes and I, I think it makes it easier
0: It's interesting because when you talk about becoming familiar with the cold and with the dark you get very inspired I by do. a couple of <laughs> nordic things because when you say that to us as nordics we have no choice. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So so you have a finnish neighbor in the UK do, yeah. you do a trip to to Iceland and to Norway um, and you talk about the sami culture sami mm. kulturen. So, what do our cultures represent to you in terms of wintering? I why? What? What can be learned from others that for us is completely
1: self-evident? Yeah, which it's it's because probably so no absorbed choice. into your yeah. culture that you wouldn't understand it. Whereas in England, winter is such a variable experience, particularly in the south where I live. And I think I mean I've I've noticed it so much since I've been here the way that you are all adapted to making winter comfortable. Everywhere is lit by candlelight, even in the daytime. You don't see that in England. It probably seems so ordinary to all of you and such a a simple instinct to light warm light in the winter. But whenever I suggest that to English people, they kind of look at me like I've come up with this brand new concept. We're We're kind of terrible at it. And I think... You have a way of dealing with winter that doesn't forget that it's winter, Mm. but which makes winter deliberately comfortable, you know. So, candlelight, wrapping up properly, you have proper clothing Mm. here. You have a culture of getting out and doing things in the cold. We have to. Yeah,
0: you have to. The car, you've got to fix the car, you've got to go to work.
1: I mean, you can't, that is... (laughs) Odd core fact. It would, it would be absolutely pointless to try and resist it mm. and it would also make life much worse. And I got very interested in sauna culture, which mm. my friend Hannah, my Finnish friend Hannah talked about. I mean the Finns are, they see having a sauna as a basic human right, you know. Mm. <laughs> Even if you live in a block of flats there will be a communal sauna. Um, and Hannah talks about how, because she lived in the north of Finland and how essential that becomes when you're snowed in because it adds a rhythm to the day mm. and I think we learnt this a lot even those of us that don't get snowed in during the pandemic that when you're stuck inside and you're in that claustrophobic situation with your family and you're despairing a bit because you're wondering what's going to happen next having something that gives your day a pleasurable routine and that creates leisure time Is just invaluable. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, not everyone can have a sauna of their own. Um, And I certainly don't respond very well to them. When I took a sauna in the book, I fainted out cold on the floor. You were
0: very, yeah, you felt, yeah. yeah. But it's, I think a lot of Swedes love the sauna, bastu. Mm. And um, it's a thing you can get used to. Yeah, by doing, small by doing small chunks. Maybe you yeah. had too high temperature from the beginning. It can be very I've,
1: daunting. I've never been good in heat. I, um, I've i since found some, some cooler saunas that I quite like being in. They're not too hot. Uh, mm. But I, I'm not good in the summer either. I'm a little bit prone to overheating. Mm. But it it's maybe not the sauna itself, but it's a very beautiful way of expressing this desire for warmth and comfort and quiet time. You know... Mm. It's you very quiet in the sauna. Yeah, yeah, you can't take a phone into a sauna. Mm, mm, it's no. a it's a really intimate kind of enclosed space. Mm. A little bit like this recording studio. Yeah, actually. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we're th-
0: with another temperature, <laughs> exactly. Another interesting track was the Celtic mm. culture, which you write about a lot. The ancient mystical bod ridden culture of the British Isles. I actually discovered I have some Celtic DNA in me. So I... How lovely. Yeah. Uh, and a new set of God. And I think we should listen to a bit of Celtic music. So tell us about the, the Celtic
1: culture. How did it relate to the seasons? So, the Celts believed that winter began on the 1st of November. So, Halloween, which we've all got much more used to, you know, in the last 20 years, I think, was this gateway into winter. And winter for the Celts was this mystical time. The darkness for them represented a merging with the metaphorical darkness. So, it was almost a time when reality and the, the other world, what they called the other world, had this merging, this sense that things could pass between them. Um, they they sort of explained it as the veil between the two worlds, wore thin. Mm. And so what the Celts offer us is for a start, a kind of mythology of winter about how it was created and what it means and about winter being this gestational period of the year, this time when the year has grown old, but it's therefore wise and it's reflective and it's um, full full of kind of knowledge that will get passed on when the year's reborn in the spring. But it also, I think, expresses the sheer weirdness of that period. There's something about Celtic culture that's able to embrace the... The strangeness of a time when we're spending a lot of time in darkness and when our dreams are closer to us because we're waking in the night and when we're uncertain about what's moving around in the shadows almost. And that is a part of winter that I think we need to go back to embracing is what it brings up for us. The, the ghosts that haunt us in the winter and how important those ghosts are to us, how important those specters of people that we've loved and lost, for example, or of regrets, of, of kind of the ruminations over our past. We need to find a way to honour those again. And I, I think Celtic culture does that so beautifully mm. and is so full of interesting ways to help you think about it. It's fascinating when you say this, because
0: before we walked into the studio, I we talked about the panda which we talk about a lot, pandan, uh, the parasympathetic nerve system, which is the face of being where we digest, rest, learn and come to terms with things. We build our muscles, we build our Mm -hmm. understanding of what we... So I'm, I'm thinking this is a
1: fantastic picture of what panda time can be. Does that resonate with you, Catherine? Yeah, I I would like to make panda time a bit more spooky. That's going to be my contribution to panda time. Yeah, but
0: panda time is digesting not only food, but experiences. Absolutely. So they can be happy, they can be hard, Mm -hmm. they can be, you know, rich. Learning takes place in the panda. I mean, the deepening of understanding of things. I'm just
1: picturing this lovely, cozy panda. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's irresistible. Um,
0: <laughs> we now have the
1: Dormouse, we have the panda. <laughs> you, you need to find a Dormouse concept now, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. We do. But no, I think um, that these things that we're talking about digesting and assimilating, mm. that's definitely the work of winter. And we we need to find a way to do that that allows the full spectrum of emotions mm. within that. I think we're so often urged towards reflecting in a way that brings out the positives and which is about gratitude and which mm. is often about visioning our best self and how it's going to go into the future. But that's just one part of the work mm. that we need to do. And we need to be able to look the darker bits in the eye too. Mm. And and our darker emotions, but also the darker things that have happened to us. And mm. that's where that kind of Celtic winter, I think, is so beautiful actually Mm. to live Mm. through
0: one thing that moved me a lot uh, is you describe how you lose your voice Mm. and i've experienced that too when i was very very sad once in my life and you cannot sing all of a sudden it's like the whole sadness sits here in your throat chakra tell me what happened and how, how do you see that now
1: yeah, it was, a, it was a time when my voice began to crack and break when I was talking. Yeah, and you've got a lovely melodious voice, <laughs> so it's hard to understand. <laughs> but well, I, I mean, I think my voice now is the result of the training I did after that. I mm. think I was using my voice with a lot of force that was very bad for it, actually. Mm. But of course, I didn't realise that. and And what I felt instead was that something that became like a tickle in my throat and then an itch and then I would be talking and my voice would just cut out. And I I've, I've, I was a chorister when I was younger, I've always loved singing uh, and I found I couldn't sing anymore. I just couldn't hit the notes and it's something I'd always taken for granted that if I wanted to sing a note I could find that note in my voice. But some of my notes just weren't there. And I went to the doctor and they didn't find it very interesting really, they couldn't see any polyps in my throat and so... That was the end of that. That was the end of their account they could make of it, really. But it was only when a friend suggested I went to a singing teacher because she pointed out her her husband works in musical theatre, uh, and she said, "Well, singers retrain their voices all the time; they have to." And yeah, so I went to see a t- singing teacher, and he said, "We'll we'll remap your voice," which mm. is, I mean, it's a it's an incredibly clever thing that looks like standing and singing in front of some sheet music. Mm. But I realised immediately that I'd lost my middle C, which is always where you start when you sing. You know, you start your scales from middle C every time and you go up from there. And I, as I was trying to sing it, my voice was just glancing off of it. It was such a strange sensation not to have that control. So we we worked for weeks on finding the song in my voice and channelling... The energy of my voice in a much more kind of gentle, intuitive way. And we did that by reading Under Milk Wood by Dylan Thomas, Mm. which I'd always loved anyway. And my teacher just happened to open the book. And he was talking about how how Welsh, another great Celtic culture, Mm. uh, full of song as well, sings their everyday speech. Mm. And so I learned to do it too. Not, I should add, in a fake Welsh accent. But by riding those beautiful rhythms that are contained within mm. that text, it's taken me a long time to realise that I'm using my voice very differently now. I'm not forcing it in the same way. And I think I was shouting to be heard. I think I mm. felt like I'd come back into the workplace as the mother of a young child and everything felt hard and i felt like i was forcing my way through quite often mm, yeah. uh, and i've learnt to use my voice in a different way and and it's interesting because i hear it in so many other people now that they are forcing their voice too you can mm. hear the quality mm. of it mm. and i always want to stop them and tell them but it's not a not a <laughs> not a welcome thing for a stranger to walk up and tell you but I think we could all spend a bit of time working with our own mm. innate song. You know, there's something about the way that our voices want to speak and want to express themselves. Mm. And it's interesting, isn't it, that in this age when we're communicating more than ever and we're broadcasting our lives on social media and every fourth person I meet has got a podcast now, <laughs> you know, we're all at it. Mm. Um it's interesting that we feel unheard so often and that so many of us feel like we have to shout a bit louder and maybe the reverse is is what's actually necessary. Do you feel that you sort of found this
0: deeper, more resonant singing voice in the winter landscape? Because I'm, I'm asking you because I think I have, I can hear my own voice uh, when I'm in the panda landscape, it's just such so much nicer voice than when I'm a squirrel, which I am too. Uh, like totally hectic, blah 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 yeah, blah, yeah. blah blah blah, go Sc- like this, totally around, in the head, the yeah. manic, and then you know when you <laughs> calm down, reflect, it's mm. just you charge so much more emotion and wisdom into it because you have time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I always associate winter with singing because of Christmas carols. And I've Mm. always been, as a child, I was always preparing for carol concerts Mm. and singing in chapels in candlelight. You know, it's one Mm. of my favourite times Mm. of year because Mm. of that. I think in lots of ways, though, there's something lovely about that squirrel voice, too. Like when we're high and bubbly and, you know, that sound of two people laughing together and Mm. bouncing off each other is a different kind of song. It's more like birds in the spring. But I, I just think a lot of people miss their, their panda voice, as you would put it. Their, <laughs> Sorry. Their, um, I know, a... no, I'm i going with it. Yeah. Um, I, you know, or their winter voice. Mm. I, I think people maybe don't have a way of expressing that slower, more considered voice. Mm. The, the voice that is reflective on a fundamental level that takes things at a steadier pace and that meanders. Um, it's nuanced. Yeah. Is new. If you think yeah. about Twitter,
0: mm. I would say it's the opposite of the panda voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Squirrelly. the aggressive squirrel. I'm right. You're wrong. Mm-hmm. You're an idiot. And here is three sentences where I shoot you. I yeah. mean, it's yeah, black yeah. and white. You know, it's very it's simple. very dismissive, isn't it? Yeah, it is
1: dismissive. Yeah. yeah, and I've I've been reflecting on that personally a lot lately because I've been on Twitter for a long time and I've always loved it there and found it a really stimulating place where i've got friends but i've noticed as i've got older that the first thing i see when i log on this morning every morning is pages and pages of anger Hmm. that's the the dominant note and every piece of that anger is valid like none of it is misplaced you know there are so many things in the world to get angry about Hmm. But the problem with social media is that we see all of it at once and we can't process the whole world's anger in one go and even Twitter though it wants you
0: yeah. to become angry too that that is what yeah, I reflect on you know it's not a selection you have made it's been made for you to entice your anger and yeah. mine anger and Karina's so we become kind yeah. of Products, you know, if if the product is for free, we are the products, yeah. and and they want us to be angry, upset, and share. And
1: it's a devastating. Thought, it isn't is. It? Uh, uh,
0: well, it's it's
1: another program, but I mean, it's it's definitely not <laughs> wintering in Panda Land. In fact, I, I if uh, this is slightly off topic, but mm. I think it's it's quite interesting. Um, I completed half a PhD that I gave up on because I ran out of time and money. Uh, but I was looking at. Um, our behavior on Twitter through an anthropological lens. And I was looking at it in particular in terms of animal behavior Mm. and the idea of the danger signal in the animal kingdom. Wow. Yeah. You are
0: my girl, Catherine. I love that.
1: (laughs) Wow. I love that. It's Yeah. I was looking at, uh, there's an evolutionary concept of costly signaling, which is where you essentially take a risk that demonstrates your commitment. Like rabbits, for example, have this white tail that flashes when they're running away specifically, and it's this big visual signal to other rabbits, and then the other rabbits will run. And it, it kind of grows exponentially, and so you can get whole kind of packs of rabbits flashing their tails together. And that's us on Twitter. We're danger signaling, Mm. and we're particularly alert to danger signals. We're primed to notice danger signals above everything else. And what Twitter does, it says, this is dangerous, this is dangerous, this is dangerous, Mm. this is dangerous. And then we talk about the danger, and then our friends talk about the danger, and then the danger feels bigger because we're all panicking together. I personally feel like it's time for me to break that pattern in my life. I left a couple of years ago because I could feel in my
0: stomach that it was... I could do better things for humanity in other yeah. forums. Uh, I don't think we are made to receive dang- danger signals from billions of people. Exactly. But maybe from 30 people in our little group, yeah.
1: uh, which is slightly yeah. different. <laughs> but that, that's me. Well, again, yeah, then those people can moderate the danger signals exactly. for us, whereas Twitter doesn't moderate yeah. the danger signals. It just increases them. It
0: increases. Uh, yeah, exactly. You had a wonderful live Instagram with Karina. And there you said something where I was feeling in my stomach. It started churning, which means it hit me. (laughs) Uh, You said, these days I try to tell people that I do as little as possible. Mm. And I was like, oh, shit, this is so wise. But why do I react so to it? Scary, that. It it? is a scary thought. It was to me. So I learned something about myself
1: there. How I get value, but but tell me how you how you think. It was another thing I noticed about myself that whenever somebody greeted me on the street, they'd say, How are you? And my gut response was always to say, busy. Oh busy, yeah, really busy. Yeah. And I was saying that even when I wasn't busy. And I thought about that and I thought, well why why do I do that? What does that mean? I mean I know it's a convention but also What it says is, other people find me important. It's all right, guys. Like, I'm special. Hi, you know. And I just thought, I'm going to start telling the truth about that. You know, and sometimes I am busy. But actually, I increasingly try not to be very busy. That's how I plan my diary now. So I'm not going to give all my diary secrets away because people will intrude upon them. Uh, But I keep swathes of time completely free and utterly unbookable. And if somebody tries to book a slot with me in that time, I will tell them that I'm busy because big insight for me, nobody can see inside my diary. (laughs) They don't know I'm not busy. But that time You're busy with you. I'm busy with me or I'm -hmm. I'm busy doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And I I was talking to a writer friend recently and he said the, the secret to being able to write is not to set goals. It's to make space for anything to happen and i that really struck home with me that mm. was a that was a gut churning moment for me because actually i don't think i was always making that space for anything to happen i wasn't leaving things open ended mm. so i leave loads of time open ended and i've stopped lying about it to people too i say no i'm really sorry i just don't want to do that much in a week thank you but i'm you know i'm available next week and it it's really hard for some people to hear and it you if you do that, you have to be ready for that to make some people very angry indeed. And you feel the flash of their rage come at you and they'll say things to you like, well, I can't do that. I don't have the privilege of doing that. Mm. And I say, no, I'm, yeah, that's right. I'm really sorry. That's really hard for you. Mm. Nevertheless, I'm still not available. Because I think what's invisible is how hard I've worked to make this privilege of, of having mm. time. Like that's something that I have labored for for a long time to, mm. to teach myself to be less busy and to reject the productivity culture that I fell so in love with in my 20s mm. and which served me so badly. So, yeah, I spend a bit of my time managing other people's emotions around that and mm. they often come back to me and they throw them excited. at you instead of looking at themselves? Oh, well, initially, of course. Yeah. I mean, you but you do. You get that flash coming from people of of absolute disbelief. Like it seems to them to be an insult almost, you know. You sound not... like a
0: sort of Marie Antoinette kind yes. of luxury. Yeah. Let them eat cake, you know. How
1: dare I? <laughs> yeah. 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 But But quite interestingly, I think people will come back a few weeks later and talk to me about it. Mm. They, you know, they they will reflect after a while. Mm. I would recommend it to anyone making more time. Mm.
0: Well, and also uh, being more honest that sometimes we
1: are busy and sometimes we're not. And that's fine, you know. And, and also there's Be times when we're not busy might indicate something about us. You know, it might indicate that we're not well or it might indicate that we're going through a hard time. You know, perhaps we've lost our job. Perhaps mm. we're depressed perhaps we're grieving maybe it's really good to let people know that Mm. that we're not doing much at the moment and maybe Mm. that's a an intro to talking about whatever it is we're going through rather than hiding it and pretending that we're fine and therefore not getting the community and support that we actually really need to Mm. to heal and feel better very true it's very vulnerable that I think it it is that's why it's uncomfortable it is It is vulnerable and it, yeah, but it's
0: interesting how much your ideas of allowing for the panda in you can, like it did in me, but I didn't throw it at you. I immediately started looking at myself and and so, but it's interesting that it can provoke Mm -hmm. reactions. So these patterns that we choose, you know, I think a lot of us want to look at our lives like we, we have to. Yeah. But actually, we do a lot of choices. For instance, we choose to watch a lot of TV every day. Mm -hmm. No one forces us. We have to work to support our families. But how we work, where, what type of level, perhaps we have larger choices. So, uh, yeah. My old meditation teacher, she used to say, we don't have to do anything. (laughs) We choose to do stuff because we don't like the consequences Mm -hmm. of what happens if we don't do these things. Yeah.
1: Would you agree with that? I th- I think it's mostly true. I mean, I think there are times in our life when we're more restricted and I think poorer people have fewer choices, you know, and I think it's really important not to talk over that accidentally. But there are sometimes there are slow choices we can make. Sometimes we can't make instant choices about our life, but we can reshape our life slowly over many yeah. years. That's definitely a choice available to everyone. You know. But I mean,
0: she was quite tough with this. She really? said, because I said to her, No, I've got to look after my children. No, you don't. You choose to mm. because you're not prepared to accept the consequences of not looking after them. Yeah. It's a choice you make. That was liberating for me to mm. realize it's actually, I don't have to do, you know, I don't have to look yeah. after my children. I this choose is a to do choice. it. Yeah. I choose to do it.
1: Yeah. I th- I find that a very useful thought that I remind myself of quite often with particularly with domestic things actually mm. because I can get very frustrated by domestic restrictions you know I've got to clean this house up oh, I've got to cook dinner again right. you know <laughs> yeah and actually I th- there's some buddhist teaching about it which you know it's essentially saying do everything you do with love and intention mm. Mm. And I remind myself of that at those moments. And I remember that I'm cooking food because I want to eat good food and I want to share good food with my family. Um, I'm cleaning the house because I want to live in a relatively clean house. I mean, let's not overdo it. It's not not an immaculate house by any means. But I go to work
0: because I want to have an income. Yes. I mean I could choose not to work and die mm-hmm. from starvation. I could choose mm-hmm. that. I wouldn't like the consequence. Yeah. But it is an interesting thought. It's quite challenging, but it is an interesting It is
1: challenging. Yeah. Yeah. And I it's really helpful, I think, to always think about the lifestyle choices that you're making. You know, and I don't mean that in a fluffy way. I mean mm. it in a in a really fundamental way. Yeah. You know, like what size house you want to live in mm. is determining determining how much money you need to make and all of those sorts of things. And we do have choices quite often. Mm. I love that you mentioned about TV because I hardly watch any TV. Mm. And it outrages people when I tell them that. You can see that flash mm. because they think it's snobbish. They think it's me rejecting TV because I think I'm too good for TV. I think TV's great, but I have other priorities. Mm. I I can't watch tv and read all the books i want to read and you know do do all the various mm. things i want to do and so tv kind of goes because mm. it's lower down my list than other stuff and my time on this earth isn't infinite and i just need to make space mm. yeah just that it's a choice mm. there's the choice yeah i i wanted to uh
0: End off with testing a thought on you, Catherine, <laughs> <laughs> and recommending everyone who has ever had a winter in their life, i.e., all of us, to read your book because it, I think it's a wonderful book to be inspired to look deeper into yourself. There is so much in there, so many threads: slow cooking, Celtic gods, your own journey, nature, following the rhythm, your connection to the Nordic culture. Mm. Uh, but one thought that I was going to check on you. I have worked a lot in India and um, in the Western culture, we are sort of born with the notion that there is a destiny for all of us. And we just have to reach further and further. And somewhere there is that miraculous golden path where we're going to succeed and be like the ultimate American success dream. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They have something else. And I don't want to romanticize Hinduism because there's lots of, of mm. difficult things in there like the caste system. But they have a notion of something they call Dharma. It's your life's mission. And the way of finding that is asking yourself the question, what do I do when I make other people happy? And that's not happy like applauding and run faster. That's like on a deeper level. Mm, mm. Um When I was taught this by an Indian, I started seeing that when I'm always in my squirrel, I don't actually make other people very happy. I am my best gift to the world when I am a combination of my squirrel and Mm. my panda, Mm. when I am in balance. Does this thought resonate with you? I was thinking a lot about it when I read your book, you know, that by cultivating your panda, you you make yourself a gift to the world, really. You you Mm. are a much... Lovelier person to, to kind of have around,
1: <laughs> yeah, I well, I love that i mean i'm a I've got a deep interest in Indian culture as well, and I one of the things that that expresses is their understanding of us as never a standalone as always part of a network of other people, mm. and that's something that I think we can find truly hard to grasp that we're always impacting the people around us and yeah i I mean I think these wintering times are fundamentally about fostering wisdom and you know that wisdom is hard earned it's not the kind of wisdom that you're going to read on a little square on facebook that you can click share on it's it's deeper it's complex it's nuanced it's discursive rather than didactic you know you you have to talk about it with someone else to share it you can't hand it down simply and that's, that's what we come back contributing. And I, I, I think we come back as softer, gentler, more open people from a wintering. Or we do if we've really let it in. We come back able to be more compassionate, be more em- empathetic, be kinder, understand what other people are seeing and doing and going through. And yeah, we, we absorb back into the framework of life that is fundamentally interconnected and not separate. And I, for me, that's what those reflective times give to us.
0: Wow, that's so beautiful. And to those wonderful qualities, I, I think you're, you're spot on. Can I add one more? Oh, please. Yeah. Humor.
1: Mm, humor.
0: Humor gets eaten in stress.
1: Yes, there is no
0: humor in stress,
1: but also we we laugh and joke at the darkest times. Exactly, and I yeah,
0: it lives in that Celtic darkness, you know, kind of quirky Monty Python. Yeah,
1: and and actually, I I have a little theory brewing that a lot of contemporary drama, which we absorb, we you know, which is what we consume. We we watch drama on the TV, we read very dramatic novels, that humor gets lost in those books and in those films and in those tv series and for me that dehumanizes it I want to see always that balance of light and dark that humans bring to everything like we have joked our way through the darkest times in human history and I don't think that's an accident I think that's part of us expressing the range of our emotions to their fullest and and yeah you definitely come back with A dark, deep sense of humor. (laughs) Mm, Yeah.
0: Wonderful, uh, Catherine. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been lovely. The whole energy in the studio has gone into complete panda mode. We are very panda Mm -hmm. right now. Yeah, very panda. I love it. I wish you all the best with your wonderful, wonderful book. And people want to find you, your podcast, you on Instagram. Where should they look?
1: Um, you can go to catherine maycom and find links to everywhere I am. So I'm on Instagram. I'm trying to be on Twitter less, but I am there. And my podcast is called The Wintering Sessions, mm. which is should be available wherever you get your podcast. Thank you. Thank you.
0: För 20% av your first system. Ja, en av de saker som eh, övervintring pratar om är slow cooking. Och en av mina mest älskade sätt att laga mat som är både slow och simpel. Det är stora fat där man blandar protein, grönsaker, bra fetter, smaksättare. Och så grillar man alltid i ugnen och så sprider det här en julig doft. Och i Grekland, där säkert många av er har varit, så har jag ätit underbar mat på stora plåtar. Kyckling med dill och svarta oliver. Och dillens gräsliknande sötma bryter fint mot de svarta olivernas lite mer metalliska sälta. Svarta oliver får bli veckans planta i olivträdet alltså. Olivoljan har använts som läkemedel ända sedan Hippokrates-tid- på 400-talet för Kristus i den grekiska övervärlden. Både för huden men också invertes bruk. Den har en höghalt enkelomättat fett- som alltså påverkar kolesterolvärdet positivt- och är rik på polyfenolerna av vara antiinflammatoriska vänner. Svarta kalamatas är mina favoritoliver- och ihop med dill, alltså en fantastisk smaksättare. Och så här ser min bästa, helt vanliga söndagsmiddag ut. Om du inte har exakta grönsakerna så experimentera lite grann. Jag tar eh, fyra portioner, en kyckling, eh, tre morötter, två röda lökar, två paprikor i valfri färg, en fänkål, en zucchini, två citroner, en burk svarta oliver, gärna kalla matas, och en halv knippe dill. Och så har jag, ser jag till att jag har olivolja, flingsalt och svartpeppar. Jag börjar med att sätta ugnen på 200 grader. Och så sköljer jag ur kycklingen. Skalar och ansar grönsakerna och skär i lagoma bitar. Och så tar jag fram en ugnsplåt. Och då lägger jag upp morotsbitarna. brukar jag börja med på plåten med lite olivolja på. Och lägger de andra grönsakerna åt sidan. Och så lägger jag kycklingen ovanpå morötterna gnider in den med olivolja med handen, en tvättad hand trycker in en delad rödlök och en tudelad citron i bukhållan och kryddar med flingsalt och svartpeppar och så kör jag in ungsplåten med kyckling och morot och under tiden så blandar jag ihop de övriga skurna grönsakerna oliverna och finklippdill i en bunke Efter 30 minuter så tar jag ut plåten. Då är liksom kycklingen halvklar. Och så häller jag på de övriga grönsakerna med dill och runt omkring. Pressar en citron överallt och häller på olivolja. In i ugnen igen och så låter jag allt stå. Och jag brukar använda en sån här kötttermometer. Eh, kycklingen bör ha ungefär 74 grader och det brukar ta 30 minuter till. Det beror lite grann på vilken ugn man har. Och det är då jag har ett och ett halvt kilos kyckling. Ta ut kycklingen, låt vila något och så skär den i bitar och servera ovanpå de grillade grönsakerna. Och det är jättegott med en sasiki till det här. Det finns fina sasikis att köpa färdiggjorda en grönsallad. Och det här är en bra start inför måndagen och det brukar bli ganska mycket mat så man kan få en eller två bra lunchlådor också. Karina, det var ju ett, alltså vilket möte, vilken fantastisk person, men det är också denna vackra engelska, alltså det är ju ett så rikt språk. Och hon, men nej, men det här att utveckla bistå med vintern.
2: Ja, det har ju
0: långsamt mot nya
2: stora insikter. Ja, tänka lite sfäriskt, inte liksom bara från A till B så fort som möjligt. Nej men hon, jag tar med mig så mycket, nu har jag ju läst den här boken flera gånger men det ska bli spännande att se vad, vad läsare tycker här eh, i Sverige ni som inte har läst den än. Men, men det som jag tar med mig från samtalet är ju till exempel det här med att inte när någon frågar hur är läget säger jo men fullt upp, jag håller på med det här och det här och det här. Mm. Bara för att man ska liksom, så, alltså så där har jag ju hållit på, jag, jag mm. tror många kan känna igen sig mm. i det vad man än jobba med. Mm. Det, det kan ju vara fritidsgrejer man också har, har på gång Absolut, liksom. Absolut
0: och barn och allting.
2: Ja, mm. eh, att allt agendan ska vara så full och det är lika med bra, det stämmer ju inte. Mm. Utan, och jag tror att väldigt många i vår tid har börjat fundera mer över det här. Vad vill mm. jag göra med mm. min tid? Det är ju det viktigaste som finns. Vad vill jag göra med min tid på jorden, min tid mm. denna dag? Mm. Jag vill inte bara maxa den med saker som bara ska göras och presteras. Mm. Utan jag måste kunna landa i vad som känns roligt och stort och fantastiskt. Äkta och svårt. Och och svårt. Även de som Catherine säger, även de mörka känslorna. Och det är det som... Ja, men den här boken, den är ju rolig också, det är ju det, att ja, det liksom finns, så, så att det är ingen deppig läsning, nej. det ska vi säga, utan nej, det är en utan, life affirming, jag vet ja. inte, livsbejakande ja. läsning, verkligen. Och Catherine skrattar, hon så här småskrattar ju hela tiden, ja, det är lite det så, det. så, det är lite roligt. Ja, det gör, ja, gör hon, och, och det är det är väldigt livt tvärtom, ja.
0: genom att bejaka sin vinter att bli riktigt livsbejakande, ja. så ja. känner jag. Att, att den är hitta
2: den här kontakten med sig själv. Som gör att man kan säga nej men vi kan ses nästa, nästa vecka. Ja. Inte imorgon. Ja. ja och det blir bra. Det blir bra. Mm. Jag har bestämt mig nu eh, under den här att eh,
0: jag ska prova nu i en månad. När folk frågar vad jag gör så ska jag, så ska jag svara väldigt ärligt. Om jag är jättebissig eller halvbissig. Eller bara har möjligheter att och, liksom,
2: ta lite lugnare. Jag ska prova det mm. och se
0: vad som händer. Ja,
2: att frigöra mer tid. Ja, vad säger du? Hänger ja. du med? Ja ja, jag har ju redan bokat in min jag har liksom en du ska är redan där. övervintra den här våren, sommaren. Så att jag har ju medvetet tackat nej till uppdrag ja. gjort mer frigjort mer tid mm. i kalendern mm. för att se vad som ska hända. Mm. Precis, idealet behöver inte vara den här
0: utfasade... Nej. Sönderstressade utan en människa i balans. Mm. Ja. Mm. Ha, då, jag säger det nu här så jag kommer rapportera tillbaka om det om några veckor hur det mm. går. Mm. Det ska bli intressant. Det vet jag faktiskt inte riktigt hur jag kommer klara men det nej, ska bli intressant. Prata mer om. Ja, mm. ja. Och om du har tankar om det här balansen mellan ekor och panda och vad vintern har betytt för dig, ditt liv, insikter, problem tillåter vi vinter, tillåt vi inte vinter
2: så skriv gärna till oss. Det här är ju väldigt spännande mm. ämne, eller hur? Du kan mejla till halsorevolutionenpodcast att gmail.com där vi svarar inte varje dag men vi kommer återkomma med ett svar. Och sen så finns vi också på Instagram där har vi adressen halsorevolutionen